morning, if you have your Bibles, if you would open with me now to the book of Romans chapter 4. And this morning, we'll be picking up in verse 13 with a message entitled, The Faith of Abraham. Romans chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Shall we pray together? Lord, we're reminded your word declares that without faith, it is impossible to please God and that anyone that comes to you must believe that you exist and that you are a rewarder of those who earnestly seek you. And Lord, we are seeking you today. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith in our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul had established the fact that contrary to popular misunderstanding, no one can be made righteous by keeping God's law. To put it another way, no one can achieve or earn a righteous right standing before God that would allow them entrance into heaven by their own works. There is no ritual that you could go through there is no procedure that you could implement, no church that you could join. A person is saved from the wrath of God and the fires of eternal hell by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ Jesus alone. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Paul illustrated this justification by faith by looking at the life of Abraham as an example. He highlighted that Abraham was declared righteous by faith in the sight of God 430 years before the law of God was given to Moses. And he was also declared righteous by faith 14 years before he went through the outward symbolic marking of circumcision. Abraham was declared righteous when by faith he believed in the promise of God. It is worth noting that Romans chapter 4 verse 13 marks the first of eight uses of the word promise in the book of Romans. Look once again at verse 13 as he mentions this promise to Abraham. 
For the promise that he would be the heir of the world wasn't just to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If you've read through the book of Genesis and studied the life of Abraham, you know that God made several amazing promises to him. First, the promise involved the land of Israel, in which Abraham, throughout his life, lived as a tenant. He never actually owned the land that God promised to him, except for a burial site for his wife, Sarah. However, five centuries later, his descendants did take possession of the land God had promised him when Joshua led the Israelites across the Jordan into the land of Canaan. God fulfilled his promise. Second, the promise also involved a people. The Lord told Abraham that his descendants would be so many that they could not be numbered. They would be like the dust of the earth, like the stars in the sky. Eventually, Abraham would become the father of many nations, not just the Jews, but also the Gentiles by faith. Third, the promise involved a blessing that would affect the entire world. The promise of the blessing to the whole world was to be fulfilled in the coming of Jesus Christ, who was a descendant of Abraham, and through his provision of eternal salvation, through his death and resurrection, Jesus was the blessing to the whole world. It is with this in mind that Paul goes on to explain why these promises that were given to Abraham could only be accessed by believing and not by working or performing. In verse 14, it says, For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath, and where there is no law, there is no transgression. Paul is saying that if the fulfillment of God's promise for salvation were based upon our performance in attempting to keep the law, then there would be no need for faith, would there? If you could earn it, if you could somehow, by your own merit, inherit salvation, there's no need for faith. You just work for it, and it's yours. Also, there would be no need for a promise if you could earn it all on your own. But remember, Although the law in itself is good because it comes from God, it can only bring wrath upon us if we're unable to keep it perfectly. If it's your desire to try to reach heaven by keeping God's law perfectly 100% of the time, you can try, but listen, if you fail in any part of the law at any time, there's only one thing that's reserved for you, and that's the wrath of God. That's the only thing that the law will ultimately produce. It doesn't produce righteousness. It produces or prepares one for wrath. The law's good. But here's the problem. The trouble with the law is it's able to diagnose the disease, but it cannot provide the cure in itself. The law shows us where we go wrong, but it doesn't help us to avoid going wrong. It doesn't give us the power to overcome Someone said it this way, do this and live. 
the law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. A better word, grace doth bring. It bids me fly, but gives me wings. Grace enables me to do what the law never could. Our faith in what Christ did would have no effect on our eternal destiny if the only way that we could be saved was by keeping God's law perfectly without fail. Thankfully, that is not the case. It is of faith or we would all be doomed. Paul says this in verse 16. Notice this, the word therefore, or in light of everything that I've been saying up to this point in chapter 4. Therefore, it is of faith. And why? That it might be according to grace. So that the promise might be sure to all the seed. Not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Please note the emphasis that Paul places on it is of faith. The reason it's of faith is so that it can be according to God's grace, God's unmerited favor. And the reason that it's according to grace is so that it might be available to every person. To whoever you are, no matter how bad you've sinned, how messed up you've been, listen, it's of grace. It's, you can't earn it. You can't be worthy of it. You can only receive it. And if it wasn't of grace, then it's, it's no salvation at all. You'll never make it. That is why salvation is of grace, and it comes by faith. This emphasis on faith and God's grace takes Paul once again back to the book of Genesis as he reflects upon the example of Abraham. And Paul reveals several characteristics that marked the faith of Abraham. And I want to point them out to you. The faith of Abraham. First of all, consider with me the object of Abraham's faith. In verse 17, it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God. God was the object of Abraham's faith. Every single person has faith. It may not be saving faith, but every person has faith. Every single person who exists at the present time has a belief system. Even the atheist has their own belief system. Even the humanist has their own belief system. Every single person believes something. What is the object of your faith? Or rather, who is the object of your faith? For Abraham, God revealed himself the first time to Abraham as Jehovah God, the becoming one. He then revealed himself to Abraham later on in Genesis as El Shaddai, the almighty God. This was the object. The Lord, God Almighty, was the object of Abraham's faith. And whatever the object of your faith makes all the difference in the world. Abraham's original name was Abram, which means the father of many. He was called the father of many when he was, wasn't the father of any. God gave him that name, Abram. That was his name. That's when he started out. But when God called him to leave his pagan country of Ur of the Chaldees, he didn't have any children. He went to this place called Haran with this idolatrous father whose name was Terah. Terah dies. Abram is now 75 years old. He and Sarah still have no children. But the Lord promised that one day 
there would be descendants that would come from Abram that he could not number. Now, as time went on, they got into their 80s. Still without children, the father of many has no children. Abraham and Sarah thought maybe they could help God fulfill the promise by having a child through their handmaiden whose name was Hagar. And thus Ishmael was born. But he wasn't the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah. He was a work of their flesh, something they came up with on their own. Then at 99 years of age, the Lord spoke to Abram and changed his name from father of many to Abraham, which means father of many nations. Still, no child of promise. It must have been difficult for Abraham on that day when the Lord changed his name to come out and tell all of his servants in his household, everybody, I have an announcement. Gather around. Something's happened. Something needs to change. You know, you've been calling me the father of many. Well, now I need you to call me the father of many nations. I wonder if there were some who laughed and thought that was amusing to think that the father of many nations still had no child of promise. Abraham and Sarah experienced a long period of waiting. When you read their story, you can't help but think, why? Lord, why did you have them wait so long? The Lord used the delay in Abraham and Sarah's life to accomplish at least two important objectives. First of all, he wanted Abraham and all of his descendants to understand that his covenant was supernatural in its origin and only God was powerful enough to bring it to pass. Abraham could not do it on his own. It would, it would be God that would bring it to pass. Secondly, he wanted through their personal experience to cultivate within Abraham and Sarah's faith as they gained greater knowledge of his character and limitless power. Just because God delays something doesn't mean that he's denied you something. It may just be a delay. God's delays do not mean they are God's denials. It could be just a time of waiting. But this journey of, of faith and learning to trust in God, there were several things that stood out concerning Abraham's faith. First of all, make a note of it, not just the object of his faith being God, but listen, Abraham's faith believed that God could do the impossible. It says here in verse 17, the Lord speaking to Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him who believed God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Notice that the Lord said to Abraham, I have made you. Abraham wasn't a father of nations when God said this to him. And yet the Lord said, I've already done it. Abraham didn't see it. It hadn't been manifested in his life. But from heaven's perspective, God being outside of time said, I already see you as the father of many nations. I want you to believe it and I want you to walk in it even before you see it. And Abraham's faith believed that the God who gives life to the dead could bring things into existence even when they did not exist. The impotence of Abraham, the barrenness of Sarah's womb, they were real impossibilities that they were living with. But Abraham chose to believe even in spite of impossibility because he had the promise of God 
You know, the writer of Hebrews actually gives us a New Testament commentary on Abraham and Sarah's circumstances. By the way, let me mention that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And here we have a New Testament commentary in Hebrews 11. Here's what it says. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars and sky and multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. It was a medical impossibility for them to have children. They were both as good as dead. But we serve one who is the resurrection and the life. He brings dead things to life. He alone can call things into existence that do not exist. That's the God that we serve. Impossible is not part of his vocabulary. It's not something that he's not limited by anything. And he's the God of the impossible. You remember in John chapter 11, Jesus received word from a family that he loved, Mary and Martha, that their brother Lazarus was sick. And so Jesus, rather than immediately going down to heal Lazarus, waited until Lazarus died. And then he went down. And when he arrived there, Mary came up weeping and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. She was troubled. And then Jesus said to her in John eleven twenty five, 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? After this, Mary then came and fell at the feet of Jesus and began to weep and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus said something that perhaps surprised them. He said, take me to the gravesite. Show me where you've placed him. And they took him to the place where Lazarus was buried. And then Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus responded to her in verse 40, and he said, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Then he took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. Because of the people who are standing by, I said this, that they may believe that you sent me. Now, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound, hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Jesus called a dead man back to life because he's the resurrection and the life. Folks, the Lord can provide resources financially that you know nothing about, that you don't presently have access to. He can provide healing that doctors cannot prescribe. He can bring a dead marriage back to life. He can do anything. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. 
Let me ask you this morning, are you presently facing some impossibility? Some things that are beyond your ability to figure out any dead hopes, any long forgotten desires that the Lord placed upon your heart at one time. It's just so much time has gone on. You think, why believe that any longer? Do you still believe that God is able to do the impossible? That's really the question, isn't it? Abraham's faith believed that God could do the impossible. But secondly, Abraham's faith had hope in a hopeless situation. Look at verse 18. Who contrary to hope, in hope, believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. The Greek translation of verse 18 says, who being beyond hope, on the basis of hope, believed. Young's literal translation reads this way, in hope against hope, he believed. From a human perspective, if you looked at Abraham's circumstances, it was beyond hope. Natural hope. Sorry, Abraham. Uh, 99, I don't think you're... You guys are going to have a bouncing baby boy. I just, it's, 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 I'm sorry. It's just not going to happen. It was beyond hope. Yet, he believed beyond hope. The word hope means an absolute assurance of coming good. Abraham was certain that God would do good to him and specifically that he would fulfill his promise. Notice how this sense of hope overlaps the concept of faith. Both have to do with something that you cannot yet see or process. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. There are many examples in Scripture of situations and circumstances that were beyond hope. I think of the prophet Ezekiel. When the Lord showed him that vision in that valley that was full of dry bones, the Lord said to his prophet, can these bones live? And Ezekiel very honestly said, only you know, Lord. And then in Ezekiel 37, he said to Ezekiel, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is perished. We'll surely be cut off. There was no hope. And yet the Lord revealed to his prophet that those dry bones miraculously would come together, that the nation, although dispersed and dispensed throughout the earth, would come together once again. Prophecy would be fulfilled. There was hope beyond hope. I think of the synagogue ruler whose name was Jairus. As Jesus came to the shores of Galilee, Jairus came and fell at his feet. His 12-year-old daughter was at the point of death. Nothing moves your heart like your children. And he came and pleaded with Jesus, said, Lord, please come to my house. And you remember that Jesus followed him, at least began following him to his house. But on the way, it says that they received word that Jairus' daughter had died. At that moment, all hope was gone. 
She's gone. There's nothing that he can do. In fact, his servant said, don't trouble the teacher any longer. And you can imagine what Jairus must have been feeling at that moment. And yet Jesus responded overhearing what was being spoken to the synagogue official. And he said, don't be afraid any longer. Only believe. It was hope beyond hope. Abraham believed God and his faith believed that God could do the impossible and his faith had hope in a hopeless situation. Folks, listen, we have today not a dead hope, but the Bible says we've been begotten again unto a living hope, a living hope, an absolute certainty of coming good. Not an I hope so or I hope it happens. I'm not really sure if it's going to. No, we have an absolute certainty, which is our hope. And so no matter how hopeless the situation looks from the outward perspective or somebody just looking at it from a human vantage point, we have a living hope in spite of a hopeless world, a hopeless situation. And that comes by faith. That comes by trusting in God. You say, I came in here this morning, and honestly, if somebody asked me, I'm hopeless. It just looks, it's just not going to happen. I can't ever see a way out. Listen, you have a living hope today. Abraham's faith had hope in a hopeless situation. But a third aspect of Abraham's faith, which is so important, and I think most of us will relate with this, is that his faith did not look at his own limitations. It says here in verse 19, and not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, And the deadness of Sarah's womb. Abraham's faith did not look at his own limitations. It says he did not consider his own body. The word consider means the action of the mind in apprehending certain things or certain facts about a thing. You're looking at it. You're seeing what you're being given and you begin to develop this and you realize, yeah, it's not going to happen. If Abraham only looked at himself... He would see he was limited, that there was nothing but weakness. Abraham knew his own body was in a dead condition, and he was therefore hopeless in himself. He knew that Sarah also was past the normal age of childbearing. So in one sense, he had before him his own body, which was as good as dead. On the other hand, he had before him the promise of God that he would become the father of many nations. Abraham decided to lay hold of the promise of God as a greater weight than the physiological realities of an aged body. What I'm saying to you is that his faith looked beyond personal limitations and looked to God where there is no limitation, where there is no impossibility. He took his eyes off of himself And he placed them on God. And that makes all the difference in our faith. If I'm looking to myself to fulfill what is impossible or to do what I cannot do, I have no hope. However, if I look to God, that makes all the difference in the world. Listen, folks, the problem is sometimes we forget to factor God into the equation. We consider something, but we don't also consider God in the midst of that something. 
And so we throw up our hands and say, it just can't be done. And the problem is we've forgotten that nothing is too hard for the Lord. We forget to factor him in. Listen, if you're struggling in your faith today, please do yourself a favor and factor God into the equation. Stop looking at your own limitation and look at the God that you serve, who spoke the world into existence, who said light and there was the God who hollows out the the chasm for the oceans and places them and says, you can only come this far. The one who flung the stars into existence, the one who spans the universe with his hand. Factor him in to your circumstance and your mentality changes significantly. I think of that father in Mark chapter nine who approached Jesus after he descended from the Mount of Transfiguration His son was demon-possessed. And he began to plead with Jesus and ask him for help. He had gone to the Pharisees. They couldn't do anything. He had even taken his son to the disciples of Jesus, and they also were powerless to deliver. But then he came to Jesus, and Jesus spoke to him in Mark chapter 9, verse 21. And he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said to him, from childhood, And often it's thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. And then the father said this to Jesus, if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. So desperate, tried this, tried that. It didn't work and this didn't help and it's not getting any better, it's getting worse. He comes to Jesus and just says, Lord, if you can, anything would be great. Just something, please give me something to help. Have compassion. And Jesus said, if you can believe. He said, I I do, but I need help to believe. I'm struggling to believe. And of course, we know what happened. Jesus helped his unbelief and he delivered that boy. When you walk by faith, it means that you're not going to know necessarily what's around the corner, but you do know that the Lord is leading you. He goes before you, and thus you can have confidence even in what you cannot see. Abraham's faith believed that God could do the impossible. Abraham's faith had hope, provided hope in a hopeless situation. Abraham's faith did not look at his own personal limitations, but he looked to God. I also see here that Abraham's faith, in his faith, he did not falter. In verse 20, it says, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. It means that Abraham wasn't divided. He didn't vacillate between two opinions, between belief and unbelief, between faith and doubt. When from the human standpoint, everything is going well, you know, it's easy to trust God. When your finances are in order, when you feel healthy physically, when your kids are doing what they're supposed to be doing and out of trouble, when this is going well, when that's happening at the office and things are good, Man, yeah, I trust God. Man, it's easy to trust God when everything's like that. You know when it's difficult to trust God? When things aren't like that, when things are the exact opposite. When your faith is being tested, that's when it's difficult to trust. But I want to say this to you, and don't misunderstand this. Struggling faith 
is not doubt. Just as temptation to sin is not sin itself. You can be tempted to sin and not sin. You can struggle in your faith and not be doubting God. You know what God's word says. You you know that he's faithful. You know that he's brought you this far, not to drop you off now. You know all of those things, but you're in a situation where you are struggling in your faith. You have God's word. You're holding on to it. You believe it. But all of these things around you are coming, and you find yourself, I'm not doubting you, God. I'm just not sure how it's going to work out. It's okay to be in that situation. You're not less of a Christian because you struggle in your faith. All of us do. All of us. That's human nature. And the Lord knows that. He even saw it within the life of his disciples. And they walked with him personally. I think of Peter in Matthew chapter 14. When he and the disciples were out in the midst of the Sea of Galilee and a great storm came up and they thought they were going to drown. They thought this was the end. And then, out of nowhere, Jesus came walking to them on the water. And it says in verse 27 of Matthew 14, immediately Jesus spoke to them and he said to them, be of good cheer. I love that. I just think that's, I find that interesting. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. That's the only way you can be of good cheer if you know Jesus is there. And then Peter answered and said, Lord, if it's you, command me to come on to the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said, oh, you of little faith. Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. I don't know what came over Peter to think that he could get out of the boat and walk on water. (laughs) But he saw Jesus do it. And in that moment, he had the faith to do it himself. But you'll notice that he said, Lord, he was contingent upon if it's you. If it's you, bid me to come on the water. If it's not you, this is great. I'm staying right here. You need to know it's the Lord calling you. To step out of a boat without knowing it's Jesus, to step out of a boat in faith not knowing it's Jesus can be presumptuous. Peter needed to hear, it's me. One word, come. Okay, that's the Lord. That's all we got? I mean, Jesus didn't say, it is I, come to me. He already said it's me. But now he says, come. Peter had to get out of the boat and he was walking. His faith was strong in that moment. He believed he was doing it. But then he began to struggle in his faith. He took his eyes off of the Lord, and of course, the waves began to come around him, and and he lost sight, and he began to sink. And he prayed a really quick prayer. It was effective. (laughs) He said, Lord, save me. And I love how that Jesus reached down and caught Peter, struggling in his faith, brought him back in the boat. And then he said, oh, you have little faith. You know, I do not believe for a minute that Jesus, in looking at Peter, had eyes of disgust or disappointment. Peter, man, (laughs) 
so much for that. Wow, that was really... Man, where's your faith? I don't think it was like that at all. What I know of my Savior, what I know of Jesus, it was probably, Peter, that was so great. Your faith, what happened? You were doing it, man. Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? I don't know, Lord, the waves. I was getting wet. I don't know. (laughs) And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Instead of growing weak or faltering in his faith, I want you to see, fifthly, concerning Abraham's faith, it says here, he was strengthened in faith. He was strengthened in faith. This strengthening of Abraham's faith was demonstrated in a climactic moment. Probably the greatest test of Abraham's faith is Genesis 22. And in Genesis 22, the Lord asked Abraham to take his only son that he loved, Isaac, up to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. The record in Genesis says there was no hesitation He immediately prepared to go. No questions asked. Just obediently went in the direction that the Lord told him to go. They went up the mountain. And you remember that right before Abraham was to take the life of his son, the Lord stopped him and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he went on to tell him, now I know you won't hold anything back from me. Abraham was strengthened in his faith at that climactic moment. And we wonder, how could he do that? Again, I appeal to a New Testament commentary in Hebrews 11. And here is what it tells us about that Old Testament story. It says in verse 17 of Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son of whom it was said in Isaac, your seed shall be called. How could he do that? Verse 19, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead from which he also received him in a figurative sense. In other words, Abraham's faith was so strengthened that if God was going to have him go through with the sacrifice of Isaac, he believed that God was going to have to raise him from the dead and would raise him from the dead so that his promise could be fulfilled that through Isaac, the seed would be blessed. God said it. Abraham believed it. This was a test of his faith, but he believed that God would do it. He believed that, and listen, keep this in mind. At this point in scripture, in Genesis, no one had been raised from the dead yet. That's on record. There's no record in Genesis of anybody being raised from the dead yet. And yet Abraham believed that God could raise Isaac from the dead if that was necessary. That's why there was no hesitation. He was strengthened in his faith. I mean, it took him over 100 years to get to that place where his faith was strong. I don't want it to take that long in my life, but, but I find that everything that Abraham was going through was for the purpose of strengthening his faith. Faith that can't be tested can't be trusted, someone said. And as God allows you and allows me to have our faith put to the test, we learn, not just by reading it, but by living it, that God can do impossible things, that there is indeed hope 
in hopeless situations that my limitations do not limit God. That I don't need to falter in my faith because God is faithful. In fact, the Bible says he's faithful even when we're faithless because he can't deny himself. Abraham was strengthened in his faith. Finally, you'll see that Abraham was convinced or his faith was, I would like to say, solidified. It says in verse 21, and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform and therefore it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Abraham came to this place having walked with the Lord where he knew, God, you keep your word. Even when he didn't see it, even when he couldn't imagine it, he believed God would do it. God always keeps his word. There may be certain promises that God has made to you and me that we may not see in our lifetime, but our kids may see it. There may be certain things that God has said that he's gonna do that he doesn't allow me to see, but he's still gonna do it because he said he would. In verse 23, this chapter concludes. Paul says, now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. And it shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised up of our justification, because of our justification. The point that Paul makes here as he concludes this chapter in looking at the life of Abraham, he's saying everything that happened to Abraham wasn't just for Abraham, it was for us. Everything that Abraham went through, being justified by faith, having his faith tested, all of that was written not just for him, but it was also written for us that we might learn from his example, that we might have that same kind of faith. It's one thing to admire the faith of Abraham, and say, what a marvelous story. What a wonderful journey. But listen, God's writing your story. God's writing your life of faith right now. You may be chapter, I wish I wasn't in this one, but he's writing it. Your story of faith. Your journey. The Bible says we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses that we run our race of faith right now. This happened 2,000 years before Paul. But Paul says, God didn't write this just for Abraham. He wrote it for us. Abraham didn't know how God would fulfill his word. But he knew God. And he had every confidence that God was fully able to do what he had promised. What about you? What about me? Do you believe that God is able to do everything that he has promised? Are you struggling with your faith today? You remember the disciples said to Jesus in Luke 17, they said, Lord, increase our faith. That's a real prayer request. Lord, help us here. Um, We need faith to to believe you. We need faith to trust you. You ever prayed that to the Lord? Lord, increase our faith. Jesus responded to their request and he said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, which by the way is almost, uh, you're almost unable to see it. It's so small. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this tree, this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and planted in the sea and it would obey you. 
On another occasion, he said, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, be removed, and it would be removed. He's talking about it. In essence, he's giving us a picture that it doesn't take a lot of faith for God to work. He said, if you just have that much, he can work. The longer that I walk with the Lord, the more I realize that it's really about his faithfulness more, more than my great faith. It's his great faithfulness to me. He has been faithful. He is faithful. He will be faithful. I want to encourage you today, if in fact you are struggling in your faith, the Bible exhorts us to trust in the Lord, to trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, we thank you that these things were written for our instruction. That the things that you said to Abraham and the things that you took him through are the same things that you'll bring us through, Lord. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You do not change. Lord, I want to ask this morning that if there are any here within the congregation who perhaps are facing impossible situations, circumstances that are beyond them. They're not sure what to do. They trust you, but they're just struggling in the midst of it. Lord, I ask that you would give them a greater measure of faith today, that you would increase their faith. Perhaps, Lord, they're in need of the gift of faith, as Paul mentions I pray that you would provide that. Lord, your word says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. May they take hold of the promises that you have made and may those promises solidify and fully convince them that you are who you claim to be. I would ask this morning if you are here and you say, you know, hmm, that's me today, Pastor John. I find myself in an impossible situation. It's beyond me. But today, I, I want to factor God in. I want to bring him back into the equation. I, I've been leaning on my own understanding. I've been reasoning with limited knowledge and wisdom, trying to figure out what I can't. But today, I want to turn that over to the Lord. If that's you, I just want you to stand this morning. I want to pray for you today. This is just you responding. And when you stand, you're saying, by faith, I give this over to you, God. Anybody else, just stand to your feet and we'll pray for you this morning. All over the room. If you're in the fellowship hall, you can stand also. If you're in the courtyard, listen, you can stand up. The Lord will see you too. Anybody else? Hey, this, is, this seems impossible to me. And you know what the situation is. Maybe it's a wayward son or daughter. Maybe it's a financial hardship. Maybe it's a, a marital uh, needs reconciliation. I don't, I don't know. God does. These are things that everybody battles. Everybody struggles. 
Anybody else today? I want to pray for you. Lift you up to the Lord. God sees you standing. He loves you. He's got a plan. He's got a purpose. And he can reveal. Anybody else today? Hmm. Praise God. Those that are standing. Lord, you, you guys, you see these guys that are standing, as we often do here in moments like these. Just, if you're near them, just stand beside them. Place your hand on them, and we're going to pray together for them. You can get up. It's okay. You just get up and, and, and lay your hands on these folks and let them know that you're here and that you're going to pray for them. And get up out of your seat if you've got to move to get to somebody. It's all right. And let's just pray together. Maybe it's not your day. Maybe you're not in that situation, but you may be standing the next time. We all need prayer. Heavenly Father, we now come before you. And those standing inside here, those standing in the fellowship hall, those standing in the courtyard, Lord, or in the family room, or even watching online today, Lord, you know the circumstance, you know the situation. And together in agreement, Lord, we lift these things up to you. Lord, provide what is needed today. Increase their faith. Lord, show them what to do. Show them the direction to go. Give them clarity. Give them, Lord, make the crooked path straight, Lord. Lord, allow fear to be replaced with faith, God. Lord, silence the enemy. Let them walk, Lord, in trust and full assurance. And we ask these things and we agree and lift them up to you now and leave them with you now. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Let's stand together. I would encourage you, if perhaps you'd like prayer with one of the pastors or leaders today, to come up after the service. We'll be up front, available to pray with you. Present those things to the Lord. The Lord said to his disciples, you have not because you ask not. <laughs> so let's ask. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. May the Lord bless you and keep you this week. Be praying for us. We've got an exciting week ahead. As you get up and start your day, just a little three letters, VBS. Just pray that. Lord, bless VBS. Bless VBS. It rolls off really easy, and we'll take it. We believe God's going to do a great work, and our kids also be praying for our team as they leave for Oaxaca, Mexico, tomorrow morning, bright and early, that God would use them to reach that community and strengthen the church that's there, Calvary Chapel, Oaxaca. It's fun to say. Um, <laughs> so the Lord bless you. We'll see you next time.